2: Welcome to the latest episode, Five on the Floor and the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast app, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Five Reasons YouTube channel. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, and turn the notifications on. Also, check us out on Off the Floor. That's our new Discord, $2.99 per month. What do you get? You get nine different channels to communicate with us as well as with other Heat fans. This thing goes 24-7 everything on the heat. We have a trade machine channel. We can we got our promo deals up there. You can talk music and culture, fantasy gambling. It's all on there. So check it out. It's our new off the floor and it's $2 and 99 cents per month. Find the link right here on the five reasons, YouTube channel description as well as on the podcast channel descriptions and on the very top of the five reasons Twitter page. I also want to tell you about a great sponsor of the five reasons sports network. They've been with us for a long time. You definitely should check them out. It's you break wheel fix. You can find them at you break wheel fix. Dot com or in North Miami. This is Miami's premier wheel repair and refinishing company. 20 years of experience repairing and refinishing damaged wheels from curb rash, bends, and cracks. Juice up your car with a fresh look with custom powder coating colors to set you apart from the rest. You brake wheel fix. Our friend Mark Delacruz runs it. He's a huge Miami Heat fan. They're located in North Miami off of Biscayne and Northeast 143rd Street. Fast turnaround times minimize your car's downtime. Catch you brake wheel fix on all social media platforms. Again, that's with the U at the front. Or contact Mark directly at 305-748-0112. That's 305-748-0112. And now today's episode.
3: Down the
1: Biscayne. Yikes. I love uh. Five on the floor, ride for my dogs. Wait, here's the thing, you can check the score. Hustle hard, couple scars, rain bubble frogs. Just like Buck say, you in trouble, y'all. Check the floor, play, got an all band. Y'all seen the block, stop the one hand. And
3: Pat, we trust, it's power, have the guts. we here to bring the heat, y'all can hang it up.
0: Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily insider show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick, Greg Sylvander, and Alex Toledo, plus others from the Five Reasons Sports Network.
2: All right, welcome back to Five on the Floor. It's been a while since I've been on the podcast here. I'm Ethan Skolnick. You can follow me at Ethan J. Skolnick and at Five Reasons Sports. Our floor plan, I got Brady Hawk. You can follow him at Brady Hawk 305 and Greg Sylvander. You can follow him at Greg Sylvander. What are we doing? The obvious. The Miami Heat are one half. Of the way into their season, they bring it in at 24 and 17. A disappointing end to the first half of the season. Complete no show in Toronto, outscored by 20, what was it, 22 in the first quarter, had one three pointer at the half, uh, and Made a little bit of a late charge, but they were never really in contention to win that game. That came after a com- comfort behind win against Brooklyn, which was another poor offensive performance early, uh, that they settled down late and made enough plays to get it into overtime and then won it in overtime. But overall, they're now on a 48 win pace. I will tell you that's ahead of their Vegas projections prior to the season. They were typically on the 46.5 to 47.5 range uh, looking at the books. And I think overall, guys, I think it's been a more entertaining first half than we saw last year. And not just entertaining in terms of play style, but just entertaining in terms of storylines. You've had the the emergence of Jaime Hawkes, the resurgence of Duncan Robinson, obviously a lot of drama as always around Tyler hero, which included a lengthy absence this time around. You had Jimmy Butler kind of working his way into the season in the same way he seems to be working his way into games. And they've had, he had a really good first half from guys again, like Kevin love the return of Josh Richardson would have been a little bit uneven and Caleb Martin who seems to be getting it together a little bit now after missing a lot of time due to injuries but the heat right now they sit you know I I almost hate to say where they sit because it really could be anywhere between fourth and sixth or fourth and seventh uh on you know depending on the day but they clearly sit in tier two in the east and Greg and I did a whole episode on tiers where pretty much so far this season these Unlike the West, it's kind of gone according to form, which is Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia at the top, Miami in a group with uh, Cleveland, which has had its own share of injuries, the Knicks who have made a major trade, Orlando been one of the interesting surprises of this season, and Indiana, which just made a major trade to get Pascal Siakam. And that seems to be the five-team group behind the top three. And then you have teams that are starting to sell off, or at least should be considering to, Toronto, Atlanta, Chicago, Brooklyn, the teams in that mix. Then we've talked about the three teams at the bottom in Charlotte, Washington, and Detroit, but they come in at 24 and 17. And I'm going to go to you guys with some numbers before we get into the five things that maybe need to change here in the second half of the season in the Jimmy Butler era. This is the third best record they've taken into the halfway point out of the five, the first year of the Jimmy Butler era. They were twenty excuse me, they were twenty-nine and twelve. Wow. At the break. They were on a fifty-eight win pace. It was right after this that they started to fall off. And they really struggled for a three or four week period, even though that included a trade for Iguodala, Crowder, moved out some of the pieces, and then they kind of got saved in a way by the COVID break. And then of course came back, went three and five in the bubble, but then positioned themselves in the five spot and made the run all the way to the finals where they lost to the Lakers. Year two which was an extension of year one, they were 22 and 19 at the break. So they're better this year than they were that year. 21-22 season, they were 26 and 15 at the break. And that included some this time, I think by that stage for BAM, uh, where actually Kyle Lowry stepped up in a lot of those situations. They were on a 52-win pace. So they were at a better pace that year than this year. And last year, they were 21 and 20. And they ended up going from the play-in, all the way to the finals. Here's some other comparisons just for those who may be interested in this stuff from previous eras. Four years of the Big Three. First year of the Big Three, 2010, 2011, 30 and 11. That was after the 9 and 8 start. If you remember, they ripped off 21 and 22 uh, at that point. Then they lost a couple games going into the midway point. 2011-2012, which is the season that started late because of the lockout. It started on Christmas Day in Dallas, right? The, the rematch game where they, they obliterated the Mavs, okay, in that first game. 31-10. Year three of the big three, which actually turned out to be their biggest win season at 66 wins, they were 28-13 at the halfway point. That was actually their worst stretch at the halfway going to the halfway point but then of course they made that started the 27 game winning streak kind of started around then and they ended up having this uh, great finish to it and then 29 and 12 in the last year of the big three which we always talk about as the season when they were tired of each other frustrated with everything and yet they still were 29 and 12 at the halfway point, even with Dwayne missing a lot of time. But we knew that they had problems, even though they were 29 and 12. And then just going back a little bit, guys, the Shaq era, okay, forget 07, 06, 07 and 07, 08, but the first two years, after Shaq arrived, 29 and 12 in the first year under Stan Van Gundy, 24 and 17 in the second year, and I mentioned that because that's the year that Pat took over for Stan, and they ended up winning the championship. 24 and 17. Same record that they have right now. Greg, what sticks out to you about that before we get to this year's team?
1: That that was a team that had pieces that didn't fit that won a championship. And this team may have some pieces that don't fit and they're still going to try to win a championship. I think that that's the first thing that jumps out. Just I'm referencing that 06 data point that you pointed out there because it's just so on the nose with their record now. I think. Uh, another downloading moment for me is, damn, it felt a lot harder to be great than it actually was for the big three, right? Because it, it felt like it was like a Herculean effort, but they were getting 30 win halfway point starts. Pretty customary. Uh, you know, it was customary for them. I um, It's been a better year than last year. There's no doubt. It's been more exciting. It's been Jaime Jaquez has helped a ton. I mean, we have to just be honest about that. And also I think that the ascension of Bam, Duncan's resurgence, these things are all moments uh, that have been awesome to watch. I think also seeing some of what um, some of the bench guys have brought at different moments, Jovic stepping into the starting lineup. There's lots of stories that we can go to that last year I felt like were absent from the run and it was a lot of, just question marks and less moments where you saw answers to those question marks. I feel like the first half of this season, we saw some of the answers. It doesn't mean the questions don't still exist, but I just feel like we we saw a little bit more of what um, would make a heat fan smile in the first half of this year.
2: All right. Let me go to you on this, on this team. Um, glass half full hand glass half empty. Okay. So on a 48 win pace, which again is ahead of, you know, Vegas's projection barely. Right. Their net rating is slightly above middle of the pack for for all teams in the NBA, and yet it feels so. If you if you project out what their net rating is, they really should be like twenty two and nineteen. Honestly, like uh, that's where they should be based on that, basically on the forty three forty four win pace. And yet it feels to me like they've left games on the table. Like, like which way would you look at it? Like, should they have more than twenty four wins right now, or fewer?
3: I mean I think good coaching kind of feeds into that where it kind of overrides the the net rating a lot of the time where where that kind of kicks in. I mean this team is barely in the top 10 of, of defensive rating so I mean that tells you where they are offensively but it also shows that as much as we've kind of looked into the uh specifics lately as, as a whole they've stepped up defensively even with guys out and it, that's kind of been the key here it's like now looking at this this moment right now and moving forward I we keep talking about it and I feel like we talk about this in every podcast but as much as we're going to make this offense thing a, a thing the defense is where exposure is going to lean eventually so the players have to lean there as well and they're going to eventually get the lean there with rotations and I know we're going to get into that but in terms of them leaving more games on the table I don't I, this doesn't last year I felt like they should have won more but I feel like this year it's pretty much where they should have like pretty much where they should be. Like I don't last year. I remember there were a lot of games where we, cause specifically cause they were clutch games and there were games where it was a lot of decision-making latent games that were deciding things this year. It's been like, I feel like it's been a lot of deciding games except for the one. I forgot who they played, but they had one game where they pretty much had the game in hand and they just, the other team came back and won. But other than that, I feel like they're pretty much where they're, where they're kind of supposed to be. So once again, that feeds into the good coaching that's with, even though we're looking at this team now with the top players, they have not had their guys. That's another thing to kick into the fact of the standings, even though they're not going to use that excuse. But I will say in a lot of the the examples that you're using, and I know like last year, like, yeah, they, they were in a worse spot and they still ended up getting to the finals, but like they ended up getting to the play-in. So like, yeah, like they made the incredible run and they could easily do that again. And I'm not like knocking that, but in terms of what their goal is, their goal is to not be in the play-in. Their goal is to be in the top six. So in order to do that, you better not be losing these games in the middle of the season and trying to fight for your lives at the end of the regular season to try to put yourself in position. So I think that's the difference. Even though it, they've done it before, it's more so like learn from your mistakes and, and kind of feed into that this year.
2: And I think that's why our sponsor keeps mentioning seeding which I I have not heard him mention as much in previous years as he has this year. She says, well, I think we're in the fourth. I think we're in the fifth. Uh, That's a message obviously that's been expressed to his team behind the scenes. When I talked to Kevin Love uh, after a game a couple of weeks ago, I asked him, have you ever seen the East quite like this? He said, no, uh, to have all of these teams bunched up the way that they are. Again, the West is a different animal. The West has some of the old guard hyped teams are not there at the top right now with the exception of Denver which obviously you got to call them old guard cuz they want a championship but Phoenix the Lakers uh Golden State these teams have struggled a little bit Whereas Sacramento has kind of maintained a little bit of what they did last year, which I don't know if everybody was expecting that. OKC, of course, has been uh, the huge upside, and Minnesota have been the two huge upsides. I wouldn't say surprises because they both have a lot of talent, but you didn't know when they would put those things together. I think particularly Minnesota because uh, they have been choppy with this group in the past. And, and so I think that the West is, is very unpredictable, whereas the East has kind of settled in. And I think Miami knows, OK, this is where we have to stay. Right. Like we can reach for number three, but we can't drop before below four or five. We do not, as Brady said, we don't want to be in that six spot and having to push Jimmy, push maybe Kevin Love, push Kyle Lowry uh, if he's still here in the last couple of weeks of the season. That is not where they want to be. And that's why when you have a no show in Toronto, it is hard to feel good about what you should feel good about, which is that this team is on a 48 win pace. When they've had their core three guys, whatever we talk about fit, and we'll get to that in the second part of this episode, their core three guys have finished, what, eight games together now this season? Um, I guess started ten yeah. together. Their, I, think, I think their preferred closing lineup uh, with this group has not played a minute yet together, which when I talk about what they might prefer as a closing lineup, or what I thought they were trying to work towards was Bam, Jimmy, Tyler, Caleb, and Jaime. Not a single minute that they've played together. And so I think, it, again, there is a very easy way to look at this glass half full and glass half empty. And I think people are picking sides on that based on whether or not they want the team to make a move. Like it feels like the people who ha- were desperate for them to make a move, whether it's for clicks or for attention or just for really because they just want them to make a move. Uh, they're going to look at this as a glass half empty first half they're going to say this team is not good enough uh they can't stay healthy they're never going to stay healthy we have discussed that and to a certain degree have agreed with some of that uh but i think the team the guy team the the people who are not as pushy to make a move i think are looking at this in a more of a glass half full way where they're saying all right 48 win pace they've been in this spot before last year they were worse they did make it to the finals They're more talented. They have upside players this year in Hakez and Jovic contributing, which they did not have last year. Um, Whatever we thought of Max and Gabe, we thought they were pretty close to their ceilings. And in Duncan's case, although he's slowed down a little lately since going to the bench, he has shown that his ceiling is higher, uh, I think, than most thought it would be ever again in his career or at any stage of his career. So I think there are positives and negatives to be taken from the first half. I will just say this. I think if they can keep reasonable health through the rest of the season, they will win more than 24 in the second half of the season. Uh, Eric has typically been a March coach, and he starts to find a handle on things, and I think that my projection right now would be 50. I think they can go 26 and 15 in the second half of the season and get to 50. But on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about five things that they do need to fix to get there, okay, and how how they get there. Uh and we'll get to that right after. Word from a sponsor. And this sponsor is Tub Culture. You can find them at shoptubculture.com. These are friends of ours. Uh they follow the podcast. They're huge Miami Heat fans. They've also got a great business. And we know most of the businesses we promote here, they typically aim aimed because most of our audience is men. Uh, we do have some females in the audience. We appreciate them as well. But we also have some men who would like to I don't know reward the females in their lives. Check it out. It's shoptubculture.com. They make bath and body products that are all handmade using gentle natural ingredients with no animal testing. And they have something for everyone from soaps that gently clean to bath bombs that smell amazing and add fun colors to the bath, plus shower steamers for a spotlight aromatherapy experience at home, handcrafted lotions because no one likes dry skin, and scrubs that clean and moisturize in one step. So check it out. shoptubculture.com. Use the promo code five, that's F-I-V-E, and you get 10% off your order of 20 bucks or more. Again, shop promo code five, F-I-V-E, you get 10% off your order of 20 bucks or more. And I guess you got a little less than a month till Valentine's Day, so take advantage of it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. To get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash Miami Heat.
0: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.
1: Let's get to it. Number one thing, Greg, that they need to fix here. Well, these kind of – you're going to see that they all impact each other. It's a domino effect here, but I, I'm going to start here. I think they really need to think about um, what's going on with the moments between Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler on the floor. That's where I'm starting in the second half of the year. We need to come to some finality on what works, what doesn't, Um it's so weird that in year 5 we're asking if this works i think that the results would tell us it does work but if you look into the details and the devil is in the details here you would see that they haven't been on the court very much when all the winnings happened um in all of these different runs it's just been weird circumstantial stuff but we just that's where i'm going to start in terms of things that need to change or what we need to see different in the second half We need to fix those moments. They need to operate in different parts of the floor. Jimmy can't stand in the corner. uh, As as Alphonse Sidney says, Jimmy stands in the corner every time Tyler gets the ball, and Tyler can't help that. Well, they need to work on that kind of stuff. Um, So that's where I'm going to start. I think that that's something that needs to be fixed if we're going to start to poke holes in in the team, at least to to a degree, uh, in this first half of the year. Assuming that there's no trade of any of
2: them. And I don't believe there's going to be a trade to Jimmy Butler, obviously. And I still don't believe there's going to be a trade of Tyler hero, uh, during this season. So Brady to that end, we saw in Brooklyn that they can make it work for pockets of the game. I mean, the two of them basically carried them back into it offensively at the end, even though Jimmy took a shot that didn't go, but Tyler made big plays towards the end of that. Jimmy got to the line. Um, do you, I guess, it's a simple question can they make it work? How do they make it
3: work? I think they can. I, I honestly, I it's not high up on my worrisome meter, I'll say. Like, it, it, this isn't one of the things that worries me most, but it definitely is something that is important to discuss because of the, the small sample size we've seen this season. Like, we've seen it clearly season over season over and over. So, I don't want to, I feel like we talk about it like they haven't played together before it's more so about this roster. And I think that's where Greg was kicking in with the domino effect that we're probably going to hit on next, but I'll say this they're They have been running in the last two games, more Jimmy hero actions than I've seen in a long time. Like I, I just haven't seen them try to force it in this way. And what that tells me is that Eric spolster's trying to make it work. And it feels like now he's trying to make up for lost time where he knows he at this current moment, it's not about, he could, he could move the role players around and use different sets and, and put them in position, but when, with the time being, with not knowing how long he has with Jimmy, Hero, and Bam on the floor together in the regular season, he's going to try to maximize the, those times. So I felt like I think it's important to note that I think he's trying to figure that stuff out as well and how to maximize them both. And the issue is, and it's always going to be this, the regular season Jimmy-Hero combo doesn't end up ever mattering because we see a different version in the playoffs. And it's like it's easy to say that. And I know it's going to sound repetitive, but it is what it is. Like this, this version of Jimmy Butler, whether you like it or not, whether if he is sitting in the corner a couple of times with Tyler, who has the ball, that's going to be the style that he's going to play at this time. He's not going to play a crazy high usage in the regular season. And all of a sudden the playoffs, it's going to turn around. So maybe the time played together is kind of overblown because it's all going to change in the playoffs, but there's no doubt that they need to figure that stuff out to kind of, you can't just be thrown in to the mix in a playoff series and expect to kind of figure it all at once. Now, last thing I'll say is, even though we keep saying this, the start of that Milwaukee game last year, when Tyler before he got injured, Tyler played incredible and the offense looked good and Jimmy was involved and everything kind of looked smooth where that's the kind of the pockets where, I'm glad, Ethan, you mentioned the word pockets because I I think it's not, can they play together? It's, can they play together consistently? Like, it's more about the inconsistencies that pop up, I feel like, between the two of them over time because now if Tyler's in a rhythm and he keeps taking you know shot after shot and now Jimmy's not getting the ball or vice versa that's the stuff they need to figure out but once again that's not never going to be figured out unless the reps are are there over and over so ideally we get to see a little more of that on this upcoming stretch
2: see I, I think this is uh being put all on Tyler where I don't think it should be and I I was on a spaces uh today and we got into it and get to hear a lot of different perspectives on there we we appreciate everybody who joined and of course we do this on playback too and sometimes by the time we get to the podcast i feel like we're all taked out uh because we've discussed so many of these things but sometimes it does provide a little bit of clarity this is all being framed okay particularly by a certain segment of heat fans as a tyler problem and i i just think that that's like i said unfair because look We talk so much about that Jimmy doesn't want the usage in the regular season. He doesn't want the burden in the regular season. And so you have somebody who is an ambitious young player. When I talked to Tyler on the side about a week and a half ago, that's the phrasing he used with me. I asked him about wanting to score 25 with five points, five five rebounds, five assists. He's like, why not? I'm an ambitious young player. And then we talked about efficiency and the idea of going 50-40-90, which, by the way, the 40 and 90 parts are not a problem for him. It's the question of how he changes his shot distribution so maybe he gets closer to the 50. And that's the issue. We talk about it at the rim, and I know Sean was on with us on Spaces today saying that Tyler doesn't need to take fewer shots. He just needs to take a different different distribution of shots. More threes, maybe. Uh, Fewer shots at the rim. Because, you know, again, we're kind of forcing him into a role or not, or this roster is forcing him to a role that maybe he doesn't fit the best in. But we frame it as a Tyler thing. When, I mean, if you're Tyler, if you're in Tyler's position, and I'm not speaking for Tyler, I don't know how he feels about this. I'm just trying to put myself in in his shoes to a certain degree. You don't know which Jimmy's coming at on a given night. And so like if there's gonna be a vacuum in terms of, of of usage and scoring and all that, Tyler's gonna try to take it. Like that's the way that this is gonna go. And I think I think the biggest the single biggest thing, and so I'll get to this number two, and I know we had a list, but I'm gonna deviate from it a little bit. Single biggest thing that needs to be figured out in the in the, in the second half of the season is is Jimmy Butler coming to play every night or every other night or every four nights, or are we waiting for him to come every night? until the second round of the playoffs like what? where where is that because I, I think that so much of this feeds from his energy and then they'll follow suit and we've seen at times this year he still has it in him even though the overall rim numbers are down and the percentages are down and all that it's in there somewhere like I'm not concerned that he can't play at a high level anymore I just don't know when it's going to happen and if that's the case, I think that certain teammates may not know when it's going to happen, and then you have other guys trying to do too much. So to me, the the one the biggest thing is if you're going to compete with Giannis and Dame and Tatum and Brown and Porzingis and Embiid and Maxi, okay, when it matters, because those are the teams you're worried about in the East. Forget the others, okay? They'll handle the Knicks. I'm not. I'm not I know that I don't Tibbs is running them to the ground already. If you're going to compete with those teams, Jimmy needs to play at a level where they're at and he has and he needs to do it again and and they have to put a better roster around him this time i think than they ever have in this particular build okay so that to me a this. that to me is a lot of this stuff falls from that like you're right. uh, we, we keep saying well tyler needs to be more of an off-the-ball player right like alex has talked about that i would prefer to see that but he's not going to turn into duncan and he's especially not going to turn into duncan When there's a void that he thinks he can fill. And part of the reason that there's a void is because Jimmy's not at that level on a consistent basis. So when does he need to be at that level, Greg?
1: Soon, soon. Or the roster needs an upgrade because they need someone who can get to the rim. Like it, you see the shot distribution, which Sean Rochester has chronicled Wes Goldberg uh, had it in his latest piece. I suggest everyone read that um, as well. This all feeds into one another. This team needs someone to get to the rim. Jimmy Butler can get to the rim, but that's not going to be where he's going to operate right now. He's not going to go foul hunting, getting 16 free throws in every game yet. He will eventually, and he showed he could do it on certain nights. But to me, they're going to need to just find other ways of either other guys. And Bam has helped in this department. I I don't want to shortchange him uh, with his free throw rate going up, etc., They probably also need a little uh, kick in the ass from a move that would be that just they they need an archetype, a player that gets to the basket and that can defend and guard and guard his own yard like that. I, I can't simplify it any further because at least that would take the burden off Jimmy having to get into this gear in February instead of it being March.
2: We've talked about how how some of these these topics blend together. So I'll take yours into another and go to Brady here. You mentioned overall shot distribution. Okay. Uh, This is a 1999 offensive team. (laughs) They intended for it to be that way. And I'm not saying that they're going to play a bunch of games, you know, in the 80s. uh, But... I mean, they're a mid-range team. Like, that's that's what they are. And and the shot distribution over the course of the Jimmy era has become more and more and more mid-range, where, uh, again, Jimmy's numbers at the rim are not where they were. And Bam has to try to find a comfortable spot, has found the dotted line. And we know that they don't get him easy looks like other bigs around the league get easy looks because they don't have anybody to throw him a lob. Duncan seems to be the only one who consistently can get him into spots that are even more comfortable and wants to. And so he's settled in the mid-range. Jimmy works a lot in the mid-range. Tyler, when he's not going to the rim, we've talked about the struggles at the rim that he's had this season and all the the percentage of shots that have been blocked, etc. He loves the floater. He loves the mid-range. And I've, I've shared this on playback and, and Discord, but... When I talked to Josh the other day about him getting to the mid-range, he said he's found some of his spots, but it took him some time because their three best players like to be in the mid-range. And then you add, uh, you know, Hakez, who operates from the block, has, has developed a little bit of mid-range work. And then Duncan, who flat out, I don't know who he told. I think he told Wes, it might have been, uh, that he would operate more in the mid-range, but everybody's there too. Like, they they have a mid-range team, which is like, in the playoffs – That works better because typically most teams are threes and layups or dunks, right? All the way inside or all the way outside. And so that stuff gets taken away in the playoff series and you need to go to the mid range, but in the regular season, it sometimes looks clunky because everybody's trying to get to the same spots. Okay. And the analytics tell you, those are not the best spots. How do they fix that Brady with this current roster?
3: I mean, number one, when you mentioned the playoff thing, the the shot distribution I feel like is always going to change in the playoffs anyway. It, it's for the, a lot of the reasons that we're discussing with the, with a different Jimmy, and he is going to take over. And I don't. i honestly, I've honestly, I said this before. I hear every year that like Jimmy is slowing down at the rim and his efficiency has gone down, and all uh, this happens every year. We have this discussion, and then March happens, and then none of it ends up mattering. And I'm not I, until I see differently. I'm not going to to, to go in that direction. So I think t- in the playoffs, you're going to see him kind of take over that that first level and where now it's more so Bam and Tyler trying to take over the mid-range. and Ideally, your role players are, are taking over the three-point land. But then that goes back to your earlier point, is that I think you want Tyler, and we've seen it at points. I remember, I, I think he was the one who said it when he was, uh, he said he wants to get up 10 threes a game. And we haven't really seen that. I think that it, it kind of strays away. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that he sees so much attention that, it's hard for him to get to certain some of those spots. And it goes back to another point you made. That's when you start to make him more of an off-ball player and let him kind of get more spot-up looks off uh, and kind of play that game. So I think that's a way to look at it in terms of the shot distribution. But you have so many of these guys, like you mentioned Jaime, like that literally is a mid-post guy. Bam, becoming a mid-post, that's all stuff in the mid-range. Caleb, even though he's come back, he's more so threes and at the rim. So I think he might be able to shift some things a little bit. Uh, and Josh, I think he's just a little bit of everywhere. Like he's just going to get a shot up no matter where he is on the floor. And then there's Kyle who should be getting up mostly the threes, but he's not really getting shots a period. So you're not really getting a lot of shots there. And Nikoliovich is not a mid range player. So that's kind of gives you a different kind of different player as well. So a lot of this comes down to, I think they're always going to say they want to shoot more threes because They've shot it well this season. Like they they were they were number 1 in three-point shooting for a good portion of the year. I don't know where they are now. They have to be still top 5 I would think. Uh maybe not after that game in Toronto. But I just think they have to lean on Tyler getting more threes up. I think second of all Duncan needs to be a little bit more of a priority. I don't want it's hard to say because their three guys are back and I know the main reason he was getting shots up before to that degree was because guys were out. But seeing what he was able to do on a little bit of a higher volume and when you can lean on him, he opens everything else up for these guys. Like You could start using Jimmy as a roller, and Bam obviously can do that stuff with Duncan already. Uh, and you saw them leaning into some of those Tyler Duncan lineups before as well. So I just think that that's an easy way to kind of find uh, a different shot meter, I guess, at times. But to your point, unless you know what Jimmy you're getting, you're not going to know what shot di- distribution you're looking at. And as much as that becomes a problem, it's the same problem that we've discussed, I feel like, every year. So as much as this is something to discuss, I also want to counteract and say, this is Jimmy Butler. Like, this is the guy that that does the crazy stuff in March and April. And and this is what we've seen every year, that this is nothing different. So I don't want to overdo it, I guess, and say that, like, Jimmy needs to do this and that. Like, yes, I think he needs to be better and more. And I don't even want to say better because this has been two games and one of the games he played terrific in. So, like, I, I don't want to, like, overdo this as well because it could just be one of those down games. Now, in two weeks, if we're having this discussion, he's kind of having these up and down games. Yeah, it's 100% a conversation. But right now, I mean, he's one of two, he's one of two in his two return games. So, I, I can't really take that away from
2: him. It's interesting to me. You mentioned guys who are not mid-range guys and – that so many of their lineups look really good statistically with either Kevin Love or Nikolayovich in them. I, I don't think that's a coincidence, right? You have somebody on the floor, or Duncan, right? You have somebody on the floor, and Duncan has obviously done more at the rim this year than in the past. Somebody on the floor who's not clogging the mid range. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, the Love lineups are terrific. But Love where does Kevin right. play? Right? I mean, Kevin face is the floor for them. Like, they miss him when he's not out there. Uh, Jovic has now been a plus, an individual plus minus is wonky, but not when it starts to say this. The 11 games he's played since he came back into the rotation, even before he went to the starting lineup, but including the time of the starting lineup, he's been a plus in nine of them. He was a plus in the Toronto game, <laughs> a plus six, in a game that they got blown out. One of the two minus games, he was a minus one, And the other one was in Phoenix where everybody was a minus. Okay. The lineups with Jovich and Love are working because there is more space that's created because they're not trying to operate in the exact same spots. I think that that's instructive. Well, I'm going to go to this before we close here, because there's a lot of other things that people are going to say how you fix stuff. So I'll throw this at you. Greg, is it more important to fix this team with changes to the starting lineup and the closing lineup? Which they'll tell you the closing lineups more important. Or is it more important to close to fix this team with a transaction?
1: Uh, frankly, with a transaction. I just I I will not budge that Kyle Lowry's twenty nine million dollars needs to be used in a different manner. It doesn't need to be some splash, but it just needs to be something. And I'm not moving off that position. I'm not one who's called for a trade yet. I understand how these things progress. I don't want anything to be rushed. I'm not looking for an overpay. I just saw what um, large expiring contracts netted last year in the trade market, and this trade market is even more reasonable, I think, from a value perspective. So to me, there's no reason to go out, be aggressive, see what you can get, and try to fortify this roster because you never know when Jimmy Butler does finally no longer become March and April, Jimmy Butler, how many more of those years do you have? And so like, why are you playing with fire and not fortifying the lineup to me? That's the biggest thing. All the stuff internally is where the team is going to point to, because obviously this is a um, more of a fan driven take by me to say that it's a transaction, but I just don't see how they fix the, 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 stuff getting to the rim and also just finishing at the rim. It's not just frequency. It's also accuracy at the rim. And I I just feel like there's going to have to be an outside player that comes in to fix that.
2: All right. So I think this is in stages. Okay. Um, I think they need to change the starting lineup now. Uh, I'll start there. Okay. You can't continue to start Kyle Lowry at the point. You, you just, you just can't. And, and we were having this conversation on, on spaces uh, today and uh, the way I put it, and we had Siobhan on from Heatbeat and we were kind of talking this through, you know, it's one thing for Kyle to come to camp and look around and there's no point guards on the roster and Gabe's not here anymore. And you are going to the hall of fame most likely someday. And it's almost insulting for the media to ask about your starting job when it's Drew Smith, RJ Hampton and Josh Richardson who's not a point guard. Okay. And as much as the heat would like to be positionless, Eric Spoelstra does believe in a floor general type. If he had if he can get one, he'd like one. And so I understand why Kyle reacted the way that he did and I understand why the team backed off from its position that he was not going to start because I can tell you Two weeks before training camp, I was still being told, we don't project Kyle as a starter, right? That's not, we you know. We want to preserve him for the playoffs. We want to monitor his minutes off the bench, right? He, whenever I would say, well, you know, you had Wade come off the bench, you had Drogic come off the bench. They they did a lot more for this organization uh, than Kyle has, right? But uh, so, you know, it, it should be about politics, okay? Uh, it's a 41-game sample size now, like he gave it half a season, okay, and you're getting no production from the position. I mean, you're getting, I mean, in, in January, the most field goals made he's had in any game or three, and it's not because he can't shoot, he won't shoot. And I, I do think that when you look at what he provides with some of the bench units or others, then some of the things he does do the pointing, the organizing, that kind of stuff can be of value, but in the starting lineup. Okay. I, you have to cover for him. Like we, we talk, like I think Jovic should remain a starter, but you cannot continue to start Jovic and Lowry together. You're not pulling Tyler out of the starting lineup. I'm sorry, that ship has sailed, and there are politics involved in that one, and there should be. He's 23 years old, he's part of the future of the franchise. And if you're not keeping him, which they likely are, but if you're not keeping him, you have to keep his trade value up, and moving him to the bench is a six man at this stage. I'm sorry, that ship sailed two years ago. It's over with. That's not the guy you move to the bench if it's not working. It's Kyle's job in the starting lineup to make it work for Tyler and Jimmy. It's not happening. So try something else, okay, at this stage. And you cannot start him and Jovich together. So if you're going to continue to start Jovich, then you need to go with someone else. I have three options that would be better, all right? Jaime Jaquez, just go with it. Just go with it. That's your future? Put him and Tyler in the backcourt together and see how that works. Shoot, roll him, Tyler, and Jovich together. With Bam and Jimmy, play your core four for the future with Jimmy and see where it goes. Or you play Caleb Martin as a starter, all right? And you try to maximize what you can get for him because you may not be keeping him next season. You may be trading him before the deadline, but take a look at that. Or play play Hayward Highsmith, where you know at least you're going to cover the point of attack defensively. I know that's a favorite of yours, Brady. Okay, these are all options. Or even start Duncan. And get the spacing and and the connection with Bam. But I don't understand
1: the, the value of it. Which was yours? Duncan. Trying Duncan. Yeah. Okay, so Duncan. So any of the four. Okay.
2: Or, and I'm not saying don't play Kyle at all. I'm saying put him on the bench. And look, if he takes Josh's minutes for the time being... He takes Josh's minutes, okay. If that's the direction, if spell wants to go with a more veteran hand on the bench, I can get behind that. But this idea of starting first quarters and starting third quarters, playing four on five, it's it's demoralizing, and it's he's, there's nothing being done to help Brady.
3: Especially, and we keep saying this over and over, when Eric Spolster is trying to play this defensive style and quoting me in the mud and saying all this stuff, but then having you know Kyle Tyler. Jimmy, Jovich, Bam, like that is not a lineup that is going out there to lock up opposing teams in the regular season. Uh, then there's also the point that I was making yesterday, which is you have two guys that as good as Jovich has been, is not high volume. He's not a high volume scorer guy that's going to put the ball up. And we know Kyle is not. So now you're basically saying the stuff that we started this podcast talking about with Jimmy and Tyler, it's essentially all on them to be the offensive with Bam, to be the offensive engines. Uh, and it just doesn't feel like a strong formula. Now, you might be saying, well, Haywood's not a high-volume guy, but he <laughs> provides something on the opposite end, and he's still going to take that spot-up jumper, as we've seen, over and over. If he has that shot, he's going to take it. And the same goes for Caleb or any of the options you discussed. So they, I keep saying this over and over, and as as much as they say, and, and I've been a proponent of saying closing lineup matters more than starting lineup, but the closing lineup, as I said yesterday, like you, if you can't get to your closing lineup— the starting lineup becomes, you know, a bigger problem. You start to look around and say, okay, wait, maybe we do have to change this. And Ethan, I said this as a joke yesterday. I'm actually interested to get your opinion because I said, if there was a game for them to do it, would it not be a game like tomorrow night where there's there's going to be other topics floating around like Udonis Haslam? And it just seems like there's going to be, you know, we wouldn't be talking a whole lot about the starting lineup after Udonis Haslam is the big topic of the night. So I don't know. I feel like if, especially after that last game, if there was a night to do it, I feel like it might be tomorrow night.
2: I mean, if you were ever going to get a night from Kyle where he was going to bring back the pass, you would have thought it would have been in Toronto, right? So that didn't happen. I, I agree with you. In fact, we've even, I've even thinking, should we even do a podcast about the game Friday night? It just be all about UD. We may actually, yeah. That's up to you, Greg, but that may be a direction that you want to go because you'll be hosting the pod. This is not personal. It's just it, it, this, again, I talk about ship sailing. Like, it is what it is at this stage. The, the The organization was not planning on Kyle Lauer being a starting point guard this year. And now you got another half season look at it. And I, I don't understand even running him into the ground with more minutes at this stage. Like you're 20, he's still averaging. His minutes are down from where they were early in the season. He's still at 28 and a half. So whether you're trading the contract or not, preserve him so that he can be a value for you later on the year for what he still can provide. And maybe he gives you a couple of games where he has a throwback where he actually takes five threes, because again, he's not a bad spot up shooter. He just doesn't do it consistently. It looks like he's trying to get out of everybody else's way. That's not, I mean, they can have RJ Hampton out there getting out of everybody else's way. Okay. But at least, you know, he would be a bulldog on the defensive end. I just, I'll let you close with it, Greg, because I know your thought is trade the contract. If you're not trading the contract, you need to at least trade your own priorities on this. And I, I just I, – I can't see it. I mean he's last in all statistical categories for starting point guards in the NBA except shooting percentage, except effective field Which, By the way, is his best effective field goal percentage of his career. He, yeah. says he just won't shoot. So, so where are you at right now?
1: People point to the lineup data and they say all of Kyle's lineup data looks great. Well, part of that is is that he does what Kevin Love and those guys do, and that he gets out of the way. That's why Kevin Love's lineup data looks good too. Imagine what he could do if what the lineup data could look like if he was actually a threat. So to me, you're right. This is a progression, uh, a, a progressive bunch of fixes. First, it's adjust the starting lineup. Get Jimmy and Tyler more minutes together. Start to create your pecking order. And then it's like, then you figure out who's closing because you've started to get a handle on the rest of the group. So that that's kind of where I lay. And that 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 starts with Kyle Lowry because he has to move out of the starting lineup. And any of these options would work, but it has to happen. And it doesn't have to be via transaction. I think you're right. I think that they've given it 41 games. They can easily come to him and say... Okay, now it's time for us to make a change and see if we can do something different. They can always go back to it if they go have to.
2: I mean, they they went back to it last year. Oh, we we talked about it at the um, when he when he took the extended leave of absence last season, and I said I didn't know if they would go back to him. Right? We didn't, and they they did. I mean, they they. I mean, Gabe was the starter. But Kyle got minutes, and he had important minutes. And he had important games as they went forward. But I, again, I think, and and I'm gonna say, say so, there's nothing owed to anybody at this stage. They they paid him handsomely for three seasons. There were very good moments. There obviously it hasn't worked out here towards the end like you would have hoped. That the chemistry between him and Jimmy on the floor has never been, I think, what what we expected uh, in terms of making some of the other stuff worthwhile. But it's not nothing personal. It's just, I mean, either we well, keep saying, "Well, they won't have a point guard." They don't have a point guard. That's the thing. Like he, he, in terms of initiating offense, he's like the seventh or eighth guy that they use. So if that's the case, if he was a pit bull defensively, like he was at certain stages of his career, then sure. But you're having to start start either a Highsmith or a Morton or somebody like that just to cover up for it. And if you want to go, if if I'm gonna say. If, if, the, if the decision is to keep him happy, if you can't play him and Jovic together consistently, I think that's going to be shown in the starting lineup. If the decision is, with Hero, if the decision is to keep him happy or to continue Niko Jovic's development, a, a 20-year-old who you're trying to project as a big part of your future, what are we doing here, right? I mean, this is no card, place... Quote unquote. <laughs> Correct. And look, this... NBA basketball, like this podcast, is no place for old men, which is why I'll probably be phased out of here pretty quickly as well at some point. All right. Thanks to Greg. Thanks to Brady. Uh, and thanks to our sponsors, Tub Culture. Shop tubculture.com. Use the code 5FIVE F-I-V-E, and check out You Break, We'll Fix, starting with you. Have a good one.
1: Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Fibers and Sports Network. After all, someone needs to listen to my dad.